I tell you, when people really start thinking about their referrals in this way, and then the fact that they can do what's natural to them, which is take care of other people, which is we're all kind of built that way. Some of us do bit better than others, I'll admit. But when we just know that what we have to do is take care of people and then use the right language, and then that allows us to bring in new clients that we don't have to work that hard for. We don't have to network every night, or we don't have to buy leads a list, and we don't have to pound the pavement or pound the phones. Like, it makes everything different. But again, there is some work involved. So there is no easy button. But Lord, I would rather be doing this type of work than every night of the week out at some networking event. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 521. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. I am so happy to have you here today. And I can tell this episode is going to be a lot of fun already because this is take two. Positive Productivity is not about perfection. But our guest, Stacey Brown Randall, and I have already had a whole lot of fun in the pre-chat, so I cannot wait to jump in and chat with you. Stacey, welcome. I would love if you would share, and this is so not what we're supposed to do as podcasters. I would love if you would share what you do with the listeners, because I know you can say it so much better than anybody else. Absolutely. It would be my pleasure, Kim. And thank you so much for having me on the show. It's not often I'm on a show where the word positive is actually in the title of the show. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. So I help small business owners, solopreneurs, basically anyone that has to sell by building a relationship with someone, I help them generate referrals as the way new clients come in the door by referrals, but generate new clients by referrals that they don't ask for, which makes me completely a contrarian to 99.9% of all advice out there in the world today about how to generate referrals, which is to ask or to make it some kind of marketing promotional gimmick. And I had just discovered after a painful business failure and starting my second business and needing that one to be successful, I just discovered a way to generate referrals for my business in a way that worked for me, that saved me so much time where I actually was able to make more money and was really able to actually have success with a business. And that just came down to really filling the pipeline of new clients with referrals and their referrals I don't have to ask for. Now there's work involved, but I don't have to ask for them. And that just fits who I am as a person. Oh my gosh, I am sitting here thinking about all the coaches I've had and how they've all told me, and actually my team and I are going through this right now. How do we work referrals into our business? How do we ask for testimonials? And I'm, I'm, this could be part of your process. I mean, I think we should still ask for testimonials. I would love to know what you think, but I don't like sales to be totally honest. <laughs> and so asking for referrals has always just been in that icky sales bucket. <laughs> well, Is, you're my people. Cam. Okay. I mean, because I don't like asking for referrals either, but I would agree with you. There are times when you should be asking, just never for a referral. So I think people hear me say, never ask for a referral. And then they all they hear is never ask. And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is don't ask for a referral, meaning don't ask someone to refer you someone else who may or may not 
actually have a problem that you can solve for them. Don't put a person that we call the referral source in a situation where you're asking them to go find new clients for you. Nobody wants to do your work for you. Now, because that's first fundamentally not why a referral happens. And second, we're all busy and we don't have time for anybody else's work. And so there, when I say there are times you can ask, what I mean is, yes, you should be asking for testimonials and reviews. I mean, if you listen to me on my podcast, you're definitely at the end of every show I'm asking for reviews because when I ask you for a testimonial or a review, right, I'm not asking you to put your reputation on the line for someone else specifically that you know. I'm asking you, yes, to put your name on something, but I'm not asking you to go ask somebody to hire me. And that's the difference between when we can ask and when we should not ask. And so it's when you're asking someone to send you work by sending you a potential client, I don't want you doing that. You've got me thinking about my experience and I will leave the organizations unnamed, but a few networking groups that I've been a part of where referrals were part of, you know, the expectations. Every week I'm going to go in and have a slip or two filled out with referrals for other people in the organization. My business is not brick and mortar. The amount that I actually get out of my house is pitiful. Just saying <laughs> people, okay, I am. Sometimes I wonder if my neighbors think I actually exist. I think back to that movie in the early 90s, The Net. I mean, where her neighbors didn't even know what she looked like. Right. That's me. Because... <laughs> I'm staring at my computer and yes, I'm having video calls sometimes, but I mean, thankfully my neighbor right next door and my neighbor right across the street, we've interacted and we're Facebook friends. So they at least still know I'm alive, but (laughs) I'm not out there is what I'm trying to say. And if I know somebody is good and, and I want to refer them to do work, then by all means I'm going to. So what's, what's the secret sauce? How do we do this? Well, so And I think you made a really good point, you know, talking about unnamed other networking groups. And I talk about this actually in my book some. I always talk about how, you know, tools are not going to save you in terms of being able to generate a consistent stream of referrals. And I think that, and if you need volume on any level, they're not going to help in that way either. And I think the fundamental issue why we struggle when we go to networking groups and we're supposed to have slips of paper filled out with people that we're going to refer to other people It's because we know, we may have not been able to articulate it in this way, but what we know fundamentally is, is that it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel real. It feels like I'm trying to meet a quota or I'm trying to meet a metric so I can maintain good standing. And I would tell you most groups, regardless of the initials of the, you know, networking group, most groups would actually tell you that they want relationships being built and from there come referrals because that's the only place referrals come from. So yes, you can join networking groups, build relationships with people over time, understand what they do, they understand what you do, and then obviously they can refer you. You know, you don't just get referrals from clients, you can get them from other people that I call centers of influence. But this whole idea that you're going to show up on day one, not know anybody or show up the first, you know, 30, 60, 90, maybe even 180 days, still not really know anyone or know how they do their business and then send them people that you care about. It's just a farce. Most of us won't do it. We'll send people that we kind of halfway know, but if they get mad at us for sending them this person that they can't get too mad at us because we're not really friends or we don't really know them. Like, And I think that's where a lot of these groups kind of get stuck in this whole mentality of because we're trying to hit metrics and measurements that we kind of force requirements. And when we force a requirement around a referral, it's just not going to work because what we have to understand behind the human dynamic and the psychology behind why a referral actually happens 
It's not about us. So when we ask or we join a group that has a requirement for so many referrals that we're going to give or receive, right? When we ask and we do those things, we're making it about us. And fundamentally, a referral, unfortunately, Kim, it's not about you. It's not about me, right? A referral is truly about someone who I call the referral source, someone who knows someone who has a problem. Mm -hmm. And that person knows you need Kim, Yeah. Right. You've got a problem. You need Kim and I trust Kim. So I'm going to transfer the trust I have for Kim to you. I'm going to connect you guys together. And then you're going to go have a conversation with Kim about potentially hiring her. That is the only way a referral looks like a true referral, not one of those diluted terms of what we think like word of mouth buzz or introduction. Like those are diluted versions of referrals. They're their own kind of lead. But a referral, right, a new client, a lead that comes through referral, at the end of the day, they show up in a way that no other new client or new prospect can because they show up with trust and they show up already having their own need identified because they have come to that conclusion and sought advice or they've been talking to someone and the person says actually you know what you do need you need this and Kim's the person who can actually give it to you and so we need to make sure that we are always focusing on the referral source and the when I say quote unquote work that we do to generate referrals our own main focus is taking care of that referral source. And there's a few things that we do to make that happen that we can talk about. But we have to focus on that referral source so that they understand that when they have someone who knows or who has a problem and that needs us, right, that we are the person they think to refer. Oh, I love that. I will leave the mentor that I'm talking about unnamed as much as I love them. But one of my mentors talks about new money first. And I've struggled with that. And I disagree. I don't disagree with them on very many things. But I don't like new money first because, well, in this case, one client could be referring another client. But if I slip on my existing client's work to work only on the new client, then the previous client may get unhappy and stop sending future referrals, right? And I also want to build... I mean, I I have amazing relationships with past and present clients, and they know what I do. They know who I want to work with. I'm actually in the process. I don't barter very often. I just need to put this out there. But I have a client who needs some work done, has a ridiculous amount of timeshare credits to get rid of, and my husband and I are, well, I am trading for my husband and my belated honeymoon for some work getting done. But that client wouldn't have even known to ask if the relationship hadn't been there because it's not just about the work that's getting done anymore. It's about what's deeper, what's going on behind the scenes. How are your kids? Oh, I know that her kid just got engaged. That's amazing. How's he doing? How's the fiance? You know, what do you think about new money first? So you're going to have to explain that concept to me because that's actually the first time I have heard of it. Oh, okay. So say you have an appointment scheduled today with a current client and a prospect gets in touch and says, oh, the only time I have today is during that time slot. What do you do? Oh, that's horrible. No, you have to keep the appointment with the existing client. Okay. Because as I said, it's one of the very few things that I disagree with my mentor on. But my mentor says, explain to the current client what's going on and reschedule them. So, Okay, here's what I have learned by being a contrarian when how it comes to generate referrals. The truth is there's actually room for a lot of different opinions, right? There is enough work for everybody and there is enough room for your own opinions. And I think at the end of the day, you got to want to get up and be okay with who you are and how you do business. I could not have a coaching appointment scheduled with a client 
and then tell them, hey, by the way, I have a new client who can a new potential that could only meet during the same time as your coaching appointment. Like I just couldn't do that to an existing client. I also think when you go to go back to the prospect and you were like, I cannot wait to meet with you. But unfortunately, I am meeting with a client during that time. So we'll have to find another time for us to meet or even telling them that you're booked up. It actually makes you probably sound more credible. Yeah. And you more actually desirable. can't jump when they want you to. Yeah. I remember six years ago when I started my business, seeing on other people's websites, I have a waiting list of six months. And I was like, oh, I can't wait for the day that I have that. Well, I'm, I'm at that point and I love it. And I didn't realize how it built your relevance score. Does it, mm, it no, 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 I think you're right. I think what it does is that it just, because here's the thing, Kim, when anyone makes the decision, right, to hire anybody, there are two things we want to avoid, right? We don't want to make a mistake and we don't want to waste money. I think it's one of the reasons why getting a referral for something that you need helps you eliminate the fear that you're going to make a mistake and waste money because somebody else has vetted this person for you as a good service provider, right? So we don't want to make a mistake and we don't want to waste money. And so I think even when you can say you're on a wait list, that does build that whole, okay, there's a lot of people who want her time and attention. I can't possibly be making a mistake. I can't possibly be wasting my money by getting on this wait list. And you know, when when I used to do like full on before I kind of shifted to this referral training that I do and through my online programs and stuff and my podcast, I used to be a full on like one on one productivity and business coaching like firm. Like that was what I did. That was my practice. And I was almost not in the very beginning, like not in the first year to 18 months, but I very quickly found myself always on a wait list. And it, that allowed me to raise my rates. It allowed me to create the schedule that I wanted. I mean, eventually over the years, I went from coaching five days a week to four days a week to two days a week. And it's pretty cool to be able to run a business that makes the same amount of money, if not more, on two days a week versus five days a week. And even now, when I talk to somebody that's referred in that wants to do one-on-one coaching, which I don't do often, but when they really want that, you know, we have that conversation about, okay, I only coach Tuesdays and Thursdays and there's three spots available. So you're going to have to make it work or I can't be the coach for you. Mm. Stacey, what was your background before you got into coaching? Well, my main background was business failure. <laughs> that was I the, love that. I, I, that was the hard school of hard knocks. That I we got my it. PhD in business failure. Yes, yes, my PhD. Um, I, it's funny, I have my master's in communication, but my PhD in business failure. That's perfect. I love that. I'm going to totally borrow that. But so the reason why I became a coach, and I just happened to become a productivity coach because someone said, you're really good at this and you should get certified in it. And that's what I did. And I was looking for a plan B to leave the corporate job I was in that I had taken after my first business failed. But prior to that, I had a background in some government work, some nonprofit work. I had a background in sales and marketing. I was in the publishing side of things for a while, but I was kind of always on that sales and marketing side of all of those different functions. But I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Um, I call them the crazy kind because they all own restaurants or they're in the hospitality industry. So Ouch. I always tell folks, yeah, sitting at the Thanksgiving table in my family, you never get the sideways glance when you say you want to start a business because they all do it. It's kind of like, what took you so long? And I will say that with knowing that, but though most of my family cannot articulate what I do as an entrepreneur because they don't get it and I don't run a restaurant right it makes it really easy like she owns a restaurant that's very easy to explain she doesn't own a store right this whole online thing they're like I don't I don't know if I get it but you know it's coming from a family of entrepreneurs you kind of get that into your blood like I like their vacation schedule like my husband and I take about six vacations a year you know we take more if the kids weren't in school all the time oh, but, I'm into that yes yeah, right 
So, you know, and, and I've got three kids under the age of 11. So I've got two fifth mm. graders and a third grader. But Wait, you have been, do you have twins too? I do not. So I should probably always, that's usually the typical question I get. And I know better to to kind of like get ahead of that question. So I have a 10-year-old son who's in fifth grade and an eight-year-old daughter who is in third grade. I said I, my husband and I. I mean, we both share them. But um, <laughs> so my poor husband, he's like, you always talk about those kids like they're yours. You know, they're mine too. But we also have custody of our 11-year-old nephew and he's also in fifth grade. Okay. So we took custody of him about three years ago. Okay. Yes. So that's why. So both boys are in fifth grade. One's 10 and one just turned 11 last week. Mm. So they're about 10 months apart. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, coming from a family of entrepreneurs, I knew I always wanted to start a business. It was just a matter of what would it be. And so, you know, the very first company I started was an HR consulting firm. And it looked amazing from the outside, not so impressive from the inside. I did have big name clients like KPMG, Snyder's Lance, Ally Bank, BDO, city of Charlotte, like I did have a number of big name clients that I was doing consulting for and training for. But that business, you know, almost four, almost five years later would just it never. Well, there's a lot of reasons that it failed. But one of the big things was is that I fall into that trap most entrepreneurs fall into where you get some work, you work really hard to get some work, then you put your head down and do the work, then the work is over and you look up, and you're like, huh, I need more work. And you get on this roller coaster or this treadmill, and it's really hard to get off. And if you the faster you get off, the more I think sustainable your business can be. And four, almost five years later, I was still on that treadmill. And eventually, I just had to like pull up the white flag of surrender and be like, okay, this stinks, but I need to go get a job because we're a two income family. And so a business failure wasn't really helping the finances of our family situation. And so I went and got a job. And while I was at that job, I got certified as a productivity coach. I had gone through a boot camp like nine years earlier when my, I think I was pregnant with my first. And I just always stayed in touch with the person who did the training. She became a friend and she was like, I'm certifying coaches and you would be amazing at this. So I did that. And as I started my practice, this was back in 2013 when I started my coaching practice, as I started that coaching practice on the productivity side, I focused on small business owners and I focused on solopreneurs. And my niche was parents that owned businesses because obviously that was my world. And as I focused on them from a productivity perspective, the conversation naturally moved over to business. Mm -hmm. And then we started talking about how are you growing your business? How are you not, not just how are you running it more effectively and efficiently, but how are you growing it? Because I have a background in sales and marketing and done this a couple of times. And then my business started exploding and they started saying, how are you growing so fast? Why are you raising your rates on me for the third or fourth time? Actually, all that means is that I started out entirely too cheap. It doesn't mean I was making gobs and gobs of money. Listeners, from an did you hear that? <laughs> started too cheap. I yes. I know that pain. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I looked back in my calendar and I used my rate from today. I went back like two or three years and I used my rate from today and I just added up the number of coaching Clients or client sessions I had that week, just one random week. I think it was like October of 15 or something. I don't know. I picked one random week and did the math and was like devastated at how much money I had been leaving on the table back then. Yeah. Crazy. Oh, I, mean, I totally like, feel that. Oh, my gosh. So as my business grew and I started telling my clients, well, I'm doing it by referrals. I've got these steps and these, this is what I'm doing and it's starting to work. So then my coaching clients started saying, well, teach us those steps. So then it just became part of our coaching. I was teaching them those steps. Then when they started having success, that made me feel 10 times more legit because it wasn't based on Stacy's personality or Stacy's business type. It wasn't just for coaching practice, right? I mean, this was working for insurance agents. This was working for financial advisors. This was working for realtors. This was working for CPAs and attorneys attorneys and photographers and interior designers, like all of a sudden it started working for other people. And I'm like, okay, I've got something here. 
I can't help as many people as I want to help by doing one-on-one because I'm going to trade dollars for hours. And let's be honest, I'll never make the wealth that a business could afford me. And I'll never help as many people as I want to help, which is when then back in the end of 15, mostly in 16, I launched my online program, Growth by Referrals, where the same thing I taught my clients face-to-face or over the phone and one-on-one coaching, I now just do it in an online program. And it's 10 times more affordable too, because it's, you're going to get access to an online program. You still have access to me live through our Facebook group for paid students, but it's, you know, I can just, I can teach it to more people. And now we're in five different countries, which is amazing. Amazing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So we've really, really grown throughout 17 and 18. We've really started to grow. And now we're in New Zealand and Australia and the UK and Canada, in addition, of course, to the United States. I remember listening no, I, I think I was reading a newsletter from Rachel Luna in 2015. And and she was talking about how she had made the transition from working like 80 hours a week of her clients to taking some time to work on her own projects. And I remember literally breaking down crying on the couch. I was working with my laptop on my lap thinking, I can't do that. You know, all my time has to be working for clients or else I'm not going to cut the bills. Because I was the primary breadwinner and my husband was in college at that point. How am I going to find time to build my program if if I'm working 80 hours a week? And so I remember writing back, how did you do it? And she said, just one hour at a time. Just one hour at a time. But while I tried that and sacrificed financial security for the family, the biggest change was that first price jump. And it was so scary. I doubled my rate. I'm an Infusionsoft certified partner, and at the certified partner training, other certified partners were talking, or um, soon to be certified partners were talking about their rates, and they had all been in Infusionsoft for five years. I was the one who was pregnant with twins, gave myself two months to learn Infusionsoft, and went and got certified. Good so for the, you. Oh, I knew if I didn't do it then, it wasn't going to be happening for years. <laughs> no, because you weren't just having one baby. Yeah. You were having two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so here they are. They're talking about 250 an hour. And I left and I was charging $50 an hour. And so when I got back from having the twins, I had no clients because I had fired. Mm, fired's a strong word. Let all my clients go before they were born because I was thinking this is not what I want to be doing anymore. I was a VA. I want to go into Infusionsoft. And that was a big mistake. Well, not letting them go, but the $50 an hour, because all of a sudden when I started putting out proposals, I was on Upwork at the time. I got like 30 new clients in a week. One new Infusionsoft client is hard. But 30 was 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 mind-numbing. And I had to bring in people to support me. And the people that I brought in to support me were charging as much, if not more than me. But you can't find inexpensive Infusionsoft work if they know what they're doing. So I had to bring in more and more and it became a vicious cycle that lasted a year. I'm surprised my business didn't die then. But it was crazy that at that moment, you probably, when you brought in those 30 clients and you had a higher rate, you probably was like, thank goodness I wasn't doing this for 50 bucks an hour. No, I was doing it for 50. Oh. Yeah. And the people that I had to bring in to support me were charging me 45 or 50, if not more. Right. Yeah. So you weren't really making any money. Oh, I was losing money. There was one project that we, and and I wasn't very good about contracts. There was one client that due to scope creep, I lost $8,000 on the client. Oh, out, Kim. I feel the pain for you on that one. Yeah. But when that magical moment came, and it was actually a client that 
somehow I had kept it together for and done a good job on, even despite all the craziness in the business and the family, when he came back and needed more work, he was the first one said, well, since we worked together last, I've doubled my rate and it's now $100 an hour. Listeners, my rate is no longer 100 And he didn't even, he's like, oh, good. Just send me the invoice. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I have had some clients that have gone through like two or three rounds of rate increases with me. And it's like they don't bat an eye. And you're like, okay, so first of all, you know, that means you're good, right, Kim? Yep. I mean, at the end of the yep. day, they're they're not batting an eye and they're like, fine, send me the invoice because you know you're delivering value and you know they appreciate you. I mean, there will always be those that can't afford it once you get to a certain tier. But I think at the end of the day, like raising those rates, I mean, and I have very few clients that I see now in a coaching kind of perspective. And really, the, the reality of it is, is I think this year of all the clients I had, only one came on brand new. I mean, I've had most of my coaching clients have been with me since 2014, 2015, and they just like that accountability factor of meeting with me monthly as they are growing their business and trying to get, you know, trying to work smarter. And they like that accountability factor and they stick with me for every rate increase. And I think that shows first and foremost that you do great work, which is also a fundamental piece to being able to generate referrals. I'd never get referrals from my clients if my work was crappy or my client experience was choppy and it wasn't a great, you know, it wasn't a great experience working with me. Oh, absolutely. I know you and I both listen to a lot of the same people and subscribe to the same newsletters or at least follow online because I've been going through an email perch. But Ray Edwards, Pat Flynn, Amy Porterfield, Rick Mulready. Another one that I listen to and the reason I bring up all those names is because Cliff Ravenscraft is friends with quite a few of them. Yes. And I, and I was in a mastermind with him for a little bit and he was the organizer and he told us all how when he started his podcast consulting service, he was charging $85 an hour. And he was closing about 50% of anybody who came to him or the sales calls. Now he's up to 1500 an hour and he's charging nine or, and he's closing 95%, but it's referrals and expertise. And often the, I think what a lot of us miss when we're in the infancy stage is that charging too little actually hurt. Well, you already said it, but it hurts our reputation. I mean, are you really getting anything if they are charging so little so true. You know, and I, but I do think that kind of thought process needs to be balanced with a, if you don't have any experience or any kind of like success to kind of like talk about when you're having a conversation with a potential new client, I also do think you can find yourself in a dangerous place where you're charging way more mm-hmm. than you can show value for. Like I got an email from one of those unnamed people who send lots of emails, right? And, you know, we're all probably all on their list or whatever. And I got an email from her that had my blood boiling because she was something to the effect of, char- I think the subject line was like, charge premium prices before you have any clients. And I was like, no. fundamentally, like, I know what she was trying to say, but the word premium, I'm like, to be honest, do I think I could probably get my hourly rate now, a couple of years ago, maybe. But let me tell you, do you know how much easier it is to say my rate and not bat an eye and not think twice about it and be okay when someone says I can't afford that? Because I know what I'm going to bring to the table and I have clients behind me to back that up. Now, should I have done it sooner? Of course. But I think it's like looking at people and telling them, hey, if you want to start at a rate that's comfortable for you, and then you want to build, just build faster than the rest of us did, because that's why we're kicking ourselves. Yeah. Right. We're kicking ourselves because we may have started at a rate that was comfortable for us. Get a few clients under your belt, create value, build your confidence, and then raise your rate and don't be so scared of it. I mean, but I do think raising the rates is, first of all, we don't, 
ever talk about our rates openly and honestly with each other. So the whole pricing conversation is really hard because we don't know, well, what what are you charging? What are you charging? And it's like talking about how much you make as a, at a job is your salary. It's like, you don't talk about that in this company, right? Like we don't talk about that stuff pretty openly. And so I think that there's all this illusion around like, what should I be charging and what is too much and what is too little? But I think it's okay if you want to start low, just be prepared within your first year. Don't wait three years like I did, right? To start actually increasing your rate. And as people come back to work with you, that is the perfect opportunity for a rate increase. Just about every person who came back to me, I would increase the rate when they started and like either they were on a break and came back or we were starting the next year. And to this point, I will tell you, you're probably going to laugh at this, Kim, but I actually hired a fractional CFO to come into my business, look at the numbers that I had run, look at my whiteboard where I had mapped everything out as I went through one major price increase. I was taking from like 24 clients down to 12. I was doing a price increase, so the money was all going to stay the same. And I was looking at it, and I was scared to death to do it. And this was not my first price increase. He was like, this is not your first radio station. You've increased prices before. I was like, I know this one just makes me nervous because it's so much bigger. And I'm also reducing, you know, coaching client spots. And so he came and he was like, Stacey, you know your numbers better than anybody. I think that's another thing that I think business owners don't know very well is their numbers. But he was like, you know your numbers better than anybody. You have an idea of who will say yes, who may say no, and who may surprise you with a yes or a no, who are your maybes. He goes, and then you also know how to bring in new clients if you need to. Like, that's why you have a whole referral plan. And that's why you're on a wait list. So stop worrying about it. I actually hired him to tell me it was okay to make a good decision that I was already prepared to make and knew the answer to. But I I think sometimes we just need that confidence boost from somebody else to say, yes, go do, right? I mean, I think that's why people hire coaches from that person. They hire consultants to help them do things because they just want to know they're doing the right thing. And things are, again, we don't want to make mistakes and we don't want to waste money. And so like when he said, do it, and I did it. And every single person said yes, that I expected to say yes to the rate increase, And the people I expected to say no, I needed to say no because I was going from 24 spots to 12, said no. And I started the year off without missing a beat, without having any open spots. And when I work with somebody, it's for a full year. So that meant my year was set for a full 12 months. Wow, that is, that gives me chills. (laughs) Well, I have to tell you why. I mean, from the productivity coach part of your of your career. And and I'm sure you're still doing a lot of productivity. I just recently in the last month, on my calendar time blocked my whole week. And unlike three years ago, where it was 80 hours a week of client work. Now it's 40 hours blocked out half is client time half is content creation. But the big awakening came when my when my own team, I have a team of eight now, said, why aren't you getting on the podcasts? I mean, here you are, Stacey. It's in your calendar now, in your schedule to allow for you to be out there. And it, I mean, you're, you could be bringing referrals in this way, right? Or leads. Well, there, yeah, there would be leads, but sometimes I'll have, hey, I had somebody who heard you on a podcast. Yep. They said I could reach out. I treat that as like a, a lukewarm referral, yep. not the hot, hot, hot kind, yep. right? Because oh, that no, person has no experience. I'm going to have that yes. song in my head for the rest of the day. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. But yes. But I mean, we're if we're not running our business just like you've been talking about, then we're not allowing our time time for visibility. I think I goofed that up. We're not no, no. allowing ourselves time for visibility, and 
like you were saying before, when our nose is stuck in our laptop all the time and we're not going up for air and bringing in more leads and then it's not going to happen and we can't, well, yeah, I could get on a whole nother roll. So I would love to know, I'm going to go back to the, so how are we getting more referrals without asking? So that is such a great question. And there's five steps and I'm going to give you the overview of those five steps so that your listeners can have an idea. Yes, They can also find more about these five steps to how to generate referrals and they can find it on, on my website. I have a whole article. Just go to stacybrownrandall.com forward slash five steps. There's also, I think it's episode 15 of my podcast is all about the five steps as well. So they can get more details if they want it. But I always tell folks the foundational point part, getting referrals starts from a sticky client experience. And that just means you do good work and you build relationships with your clients. And I don't mean drinking buddies every week with my clients so they know me. I just mean like they have to know you see them as more than a number and you see them as a human. So yes, deliver amazing work and great value, but connect with them. And so that's kind of like that foundational piece. I tell folks, before we even move into step one, you have to do great work. I have people who come to me, they're like, I'm not getting referrals. And my first question isn't, are you not following the five steps? My first question is, well, are you worthy of them? Because I think you're worthy of them. I think you deserve them. But you still have to work for them because you're not owed them. Which means you actually have to make sure you're running a business that has a client experience that is actually a process for you, but feels like an experience for the client as they're going through it. And some of that stuff is just how you set expectations, how you communicate, how you deal with mess ups, because they're going to happen, in addition to the workflow to how you actually get the work out the door. So that's the foundational piece. The five steps, though. So once we know we're doing great work and we are worthy of referrals, but we're not owed them, we actually have to do some work to receive them. Then we kind of move into what I call building your referral generating plan. And it's that whole idea of what are you going to do to start receiving referrals or to receive more referrals if you're already receiving referrals. So step one is to identify who is currently referring you now. So it's, I call it IDing the who. It's even module one in my program because it is the foundational piece of what we do, which is who's referring us now. And some people will go through step one and be like, "Mm, I don't have anybody referring me now. So then the question is, okay, well, who do you want referring you? And then we got to back up and we got to put them through a process of turning them into referral sources. But the easiest place to start when you're just looking at it is, do you have any referral sources? Yes or no? And that kind of that path will diverge for you. And if the answer is yes, I have some referral sources, then you move forward and you just make sure you're doing a few key things. And those few key things are one, you're always thinking properly for each referral received. And properly is the way your mama taught you, which is a handwritten thank you note. And there is so much science and research and reasons why I could go into why the handwritten thank you note is so important. But the fundamental piece from a referral generating plan perspective is why should I give you more referrals if you can't thank me for the one I just sent you? Wow. And that's that's one of the fundamental principles we did. That's step two of the process is making sure we're properly thanking for every referral received. Stacy, I can barely get Christmas cards and birthday cards out the door. <laughs> so... I think this needs to be a whole U.S. Postal Service campaign from the Sutton House. You know, Christmas cards, thank you cards, and thank you notes. Yeah, well, so it's interesting because I hear that a lot. I hear I have horrible handwriting or, oh my gosh, I'll never get thank you cards out the door. And 
I like to be a very nurturing, loving person, but this is just one place where my response is, I don't care. I don't care that your handwriting is terrible. And it doesn't matter that it's hard for you to get things out the door because when we want something, we usually have to work for it. And we have, right? I mean, think about that. We have to be willing to do a little bit of work to receive more. And so take the three minutes and write the handwritten thank you card. I'll, I'll admit, Kim, you're right. There are moments where I'm like, I have to write thank you cards. And then I like slap myself and I'm like, not literally, but I'm like, oh my gosh, did I just complain about having to thank somebody for sending me a new client that I didn't have to work for? Right. It's all about perception. It is all about perception. So it's like, mm. thank goodness I get to write these thank you cards this week because that means I could avoid those four networking events net week, next week right. because I don't have to worry about them, right? Because those clients are already coming in the door. I've already got first meeting scheduled with them and they were all referred. So it's the thank for every referral received because why would I send you more? If you can't thank me for what I've already sent you. And this is a biggie. There's a lot of people who come into my program and they're like, what if I've been receiving referrals for a couple of years and never properly thanked? I'm like, maybe we have a whole script called the elephant in the room script inside module six, which is our language and scripts uh, module inside the course that talks about, okay, you need to go back and apologize in a very, very specific way so that we can plant some referral seeds for the future. And we need to level set, right? So there's, there's some things we have to do sometimes for people who need cleanup. But then once we're actually thanking for each referral received, the next question is, well, what do we do in between those thank you cards? Because some people only refer you once a year. What do we do in between those thank you cards Mm. to actually generate more referrals? Right. And that's what I call the meat and potatoes and the secret sauce of my entire program. And it's step three and step four. And it's actually module three and module six inside the program. But this meat and potatoes and secret sauce is, is that you need to build out an outreach or what we call a touch point plan for a full year of the way that you are going to be memorable and meaningful and stay top of mind, not keeping in touch, top of mind in a memorable and meaningful way for your referral sources based on what they need. And ultimately, I'll be honest with you, Kim, our referral sources make this really easy on us. What they need and what they want is to be noticed and cared for and to know that they matter to you. They don't need a referral. Of course, they would love one. But we also recognize we can't all refer people who refer to us. This isn't a tit for tat. This is the idea of you're helping me grow my business and I'm going to take care of you in an ongoing way. I'm going to build an experience full of touch points where I'm memorable and meaningful and I'm staying top of mind and I'm making it about you. And it's not about me. So I'm not going to send you a water bottle as a thank you gift with my logo on it because that's about me. I'm going to send you something that you would want and need. And it's not just gifts. Sometimes it's the gift of time. Sometimes it's the random thank you note. Sometimes it's the face-to-face, right? Sometimes it is the gift. Like we talk about a memory runway inside the program and brainstorming what these touch points could look like. But we do it throughout the year because nothing is a one-hit wonder in this world. We are building relationships and referrals take time. This is a long-term strategy. I'm in my fifth year in business of generating over 100 referrals every year for five years because I still follow my plan. Stacey, I I have a question about that. I'm thinking about my aunt in Florida, and I think she still gets the newspaper. But I remember as a child, she would cut out clippings and send them to us of articles that she thought were interesting to us. Now, today, if I see an article, like I I get ink, um, magazine, newsletters, if I see an article that's relevant for a client, and I think they might be interested, then I'll forward it. Hey, I saw this, I thought you might like it. Or if there's a tool that I think might help a portion of their business or something that we were working on, I might, you know, do a quick screen grab or quick video and send it to a client, even if I'm not working with them right now. Hey, I saw this, thought you might be interested, you know, 
let me know if you want to talk about it. Not meaning come talk to me about it if you want to do more work. I write it a lot better than I talk it right now. But <laughs> no, I understand exactly what you're saying. But would that qualify in, in the so, secret sauce and meat and potatoes? So it would be part of the meat and potatoes, but I would tell you in front from a memory runway perspective, anything that is educational in nature or that you email typically falls at the bottom of the runway, particularly if it looks like something that you've mass sent out to a bunch of people. If it's very specific, it's very one-off and it's very targeted to what somebody needs, it actually can have a great impact. But people look for what's easy. I mean, I, right. people get into my program and they're looking for the easy button. I'm like, there isn't one. This isn't Staples. Yeah. Right? There is not an easy button. You have to do some work. And so if you're going to find an article and be like, this is my touch point, right, for this period. And this is my touch point. I'm going to send this article to everybody. I'm like, give me a break. Like, you're oh, just yeah, more no, noise. I wouldn't do that. Right. Yeah, you're more noise in their inbox versus being memorable and meaningful and top of mind. That's more of a keep in touch. But to your point, yes, if it's targeted and you thought of them in a moment, like I'll read books and I'll circle whole passages and then I'll email my client or I'll email somebody in my network and I'll be like, hey, I was in the middle of reading this book. I read this check, this section on chapter seven and oh my gosh, you need to read this book. Or we can totally take this and implement it into your business, right? Or whatever it is, like if they're a current client. And they're already like, you know, on a coaching process with me or they're, you know, in my program or whatever. So, yes, you can do it. It just has to be done correctly. But it's just one of the many things you could do. And ultimately, what your referral sources want from you is they want to know that what they're doing for you truly matters to you. And it matters enough for you to take the time to recognize it. It's not oh, rocket I science. Love that. No, that's definitely not rocket science. But sometimes the stuff that's not rocket science is the stuff that we easily overlook Looking for the newest and greatest easy mm -hmm. button. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what's Absolutely. number five? So I would tell you, so before we get to number five, I would tell you the, the step four is that secret sauce piece to mm -hmm. the step three. So the step three being the meat and potatoes, which is that outreach plan you're going to build for an entire year. And when I say year, I don't mean you're doing 12 things one a month. Most of the time, my students aren't because we're really memorable and meaningful with what we do. And we're really intentional with what we do. So we get away with doing less which means referral generation saves us time in lots of different ways. But when we're doing that outreach, we need to make sure that we're using the secret sauce. All right, I always I always say if step three is the meat and potatoes, that one-year plan, step four is the secret sauce that makes the meat and potatoes taste good, which, of course, is the language that we use. And we don't ever use asking language, but we do plant referral seeds so that we can move ourselves into the subconsciousness of our referral sources so that they just naturally think of us more and more, even when an opportunity, like, they would never have thought about us before because we're taking care of them, because we're putting them through this experience and everything is genuine and authentic. Fakers need not apply. Manipulators need not apply because you can see right through it. But when you feel like you're genuinely being taken care of and you feel like somebody actually cares about you. And then we're using the specific language and we have dozens and dozens and dozens of scripts inside the program that's really normal language, conversational language where we never ask for a referral, but we're going to be planting referral seeds. That's what makes it click. That's where when we move into the subconsciousness, when we can actually unleash and kind of open up more referrals from someone who may just send us one or two a year to maybe now we're going to get three or four. Which for some people, if I could just get them to 50% of their new clients coming in through referral, that's huge and they'll take it. And then step five, of course, is, okay, this is great. All this sounds awesome. We're going to know who our referral sources are. We are going to send thank you cards when the referral happens. We're going to have this one-year plan that we execute on these touch points using the right language. 
all this sounds great. And our referral sources with all this, they're going to feel this experience. Like they won't feel each individual touch point as one off. They'll feel this overall experience with us. They'll go through this experience with us. And that is great because your referral sources, they need an experience because we are experience deprived in society today. We need an experience. But we are busy business owners, and so we need a process. We need a plan. I mean, I don't have a productivity coaching background for nothing. So we try to look for where can we automate, where can we delegate, how do we systematize this? I call it processitizing inside the program, but how do we processitize Processitizing, I love that. Yeah, I don't know if it's a word. No one's ever corrected me. I make up words all the time. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, so we're going to processitize this whole process inside our business so that we execute on it. Nothing gets overlooked. Because if I happen to want to do a touch point on, say, Mother's Day and Father's Day for my referral sources, I can't execute on that touch point at, on Labor Day. The opportunity has passed. So we need to make sure the things that we want to execute on, and I'm just using that as an example because it's calendar specific, though our touch points do not have to be calendar specific or like holiday specific because there's so many different things that we can do. But at the end of the day, we need a process. We need to build it and then we need to put it into our business. We need to automate it and processitize it. And I show a couple of different ways to do that from just getting it into your calendar, getting into your task list. Sometimes it's within your CRM, but it's this whole idea of it doesn't matter if you don't do it. The thought does not count in this world. We actually have to do the work so that we can actually be worthy for those referrals because we are worthy and we do deserve them, but we're not owed them. So we got to do the work for them. Oh my gosh. I want to know this system and I want my team to know it too. Oh, so where can we find it? So you can, yes. Thank you for asking. That's so nice. So I would tell you that I wasn't being fake at all. Like I I seriously want to know the system. That's why I appreciate that you asked because, you know, a lot of people, you know, you never know if that's real. I could tell from you it was real and I appreciate it so much. So my home base is stacybrownrandall.com. That's where you're going to find, you know, you'll find information on my book. You can download a free chapter. You can take the seven-day referral growth challenge. You can take the referral ninja quiz, figure out your level of being able to generate referrals. That is my home base where you can find all the stuff as you're figuring out, hey, is Stacy someone I actually want to learn from? And I think that's really important when you decide to buy a program of some, you know, I'm going to use air quotes that no one can see, expert, guru, trainer, whatever. When you decide to buy something of them, you need to understand that you believe what they believe on some level. I mean, you can disagree with certain parts, but fundamentally, you got to believe with you got to agree with my philosophy. So I tell folks start there. But if you know, this is something you want to learn more about from the program specific, then you're going to go to growth by referrals system.com forward slash join now. So growth by referrals, referrals with an S, system.com forward slash join now. And that's going to show you a couple of options for getting in uh, to the program. And right now we don't have payment plans, but those are coming out very soon before the end of 2018. Oh, fabulous. Listeners, the links will be in the show notes because I know some of you, if you're like me, trying not to burn dinner, maybe listening to this episode. The links will be in the show notes at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP521. Stacey, you've got my mind blown because, I mean, my person who's like your CFO is my online business manager, Sam. And this is stuff that she's been saying, but, you know, you just have to be ready to hear it. And I don't think I was ready to hear it because I was, (laughs) well, we talked about it in the pre-chat. I'm like an octopus with my legs, my tentacles in eight different buckets right now. (laughs) <laughs> so maybe one of those tentacles needs to be redelegated. Well, not maybe. It just does. It just does. 
Whoa. I tell you, when people really start thinking about their referrals in this way, and then the fact that they can do what's natural to them, which is take care of other people, which is we're all kind of built that way. Some of us do bit better than others, I'll admit. But when we just know that what we have to do is take care of people and then use the right language, and then that allows us to bring in new clients that we don't have to work that hard for. We don't have to network every night, or we don't have to buy leads a list, and we don't have to pound the pavement or pound the phones. Like, it makes everything different. But again, there is some work involved. So there is no easy button. But Lord, I would rather be doing this type of work than every night of the week out at some networking event. Stacey, I was going to ask you for a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget, but I think you just nailed it right there. I don't know how it could be said any better. Thank you very much. It was such a pleasure to be on the show. I appreciate it. It was an absolute pleasure. And I actually want to start doing this in my business. Well, not just start, but continue doing it and then have you back so we can discuss how things have changed. Yes, absolutely. And who knows when I do a rewrite of the book, maybe we can have you as a case study inside the book with all the other ones. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. Listeners, I want to hear what aha you had. The cat wants to know too. So head on over to thekimsutton.com forward slash PP521 and leave your aha and your comments right below the show notes. Stacy, thank you so much. This has been absolutely amazing. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. (laughs) 